This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ada Kerman, Portland, Oregon, USA. The Voyages of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting. Part 3, Chapter 2. Goodbye. Two days after that we had all in readiness for our departure. On this voyage, Jip begged so hard to be taken that the doctor finally gave in and said he could come. Polynesia and Chi-Chi were the only other animals to go with us. Dab-Dab was left in charge of the house and the animal family we were to leave behind. Of course, as is always the way, at the last moment we kept remembering things we had forgotten. And when we finally closed the house up and went down the steps to the road, we were all burdened with armfuls of odd packages. Halfway to the river, the doctor suddenly remembered that he had left the stockpot boiling on the kitchen fire. However, we saw a blackbird flying by who nested in our garden, and the doctor asked her to go back for us and tell Dab-Dab about it. Down at the river wall, we found a great crowd waiting to see us off. Standing right near the gangplank were my mother and father. I hoped that they would not make a scene or burst into tears or anything like that. But as a matter of fact, they behaved quite well for parents. My mother said something about being sure not to get my feet wet, and my father just smiled a crooked sort of smile, patted me on the back, and wished me luck. Goodbyes are awfully uncomfortable things, and I was glad when it was over and we passed on to the ship. We were a little surprised not to see Matthew Mugg among the crowd. We had felt sure that he would be there, and the doctor had intended to give him some extra instructions about the food for the animals we had left at the house. At last, after much pulling and tugging, we got the anchor up and undid a lot of mooring ropes. Then the curlew began to move gently down the river with the outrunning tide, while the people on the wall cheered and waved their handkerchiefs. We bumped into one or two other boats getting out into the stream, and at one sharp bend in the river we got stuck on a mud bank for a few minutes. But, though the people on the shore seemed to get very excited at these things, the doctor did not appear to be disturbed by them in the least. "'These little accidents will happen in the most carefully regulated voyages,' he said as he leaned over the side and fished for his boots, which had got stuck in the mud while we were pushing off. Sailing is much easier when you get out into the open sea. There aren't so many silly things to bump into. For me, indeed, it was a great and wonderful feeling, that getting out into the open sea, when at length we passed the little lighthouse at the mouth of the river and found ourselves free of the land. It was also new and different, just the sky above you and sea below. This ship, which was to be our house and our street, our home and our garden, for so many days to come, seemed so tiny in all this wide water, so tiny and yet so snug, sufficient, and safe. I looked around me and took in a deep breath. The doctor was at the wheel steering the boat, which was now leaping and plunging gently through the waves. I had expected to feel seasick at first, but was delighted to find that I didn't. Bumpo had been told off to go downstairs and prepare dinner for us. Chi-Chi was coiling up ropes in the stern and laying them in neat piles. My work was fastening down the things on the deck so that nothing could roll about if the weather should grow rough when we got further from the land. Jip was up in the peak of the butt with ears cocked and nose stuck out, like a statue, so still, his keen old eyes keeping a sharp lookout for floating wrecks, sandbars, and other dangers. Each one of us had some special job to do, part of the proper running of a ship. Even old Polynesia was taking the sea's temperature with the doctor's bath thermometer tied on the end of a string to make sure there were no icebergs near us. As I listened to her swearing softly to herself because she couldn't read the pesky figures in the fading light, I realized that the voyage had begun in earnest and that very soon it would be night, my first night at sea. End of Part 3, Chapter 2